time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Good to see you guys. Welcome to the show. Jay, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Gentlemen. Doc? We're here. How's everybody <laughs> sweltering in this August heat? It's a hot one. It is hot. Although I was uh, biking this morning to the beach and it was totally overcast and like 60 degrees. I was talking to someone who was up in Oxnard and it was, he said he was wearing a sweatshirt. Yeah, you'd have to wear a sweatshirt. Yeah, yeah it was 60 degrees. It's nice. I wish. Isn't what, that crazy? What time did you go? What time did you leave? Uh, eight. So there's a little, little bit of heat going up the Sepulveda Pass, but not bad. And then, of course, by the time you got up there... So what's that, 40 miles? No. I mean, well, round... Round you, trip. Yeah, round trip. Is that what you did? You went from here up up so Well, no, we cheated. We did not do a round <laughs> trip. So I would have done a round trip. Honestly, I really would have. You made the I, phone call? No, he, he... Yeah, he had already planned it that his wife was going to pick us up. So we drove down there, and then she was there. Oh, so we, you rode in the same car as them? I did. Mm. Kept the windows all down. We all had masks on. That's uh, right. yeah, we all had masks on and, and windows down. It, I've actually never done that since this whole thing started, which I was a little uneasy about it. But uh, I've had like one person in the back seat, and windows are open, and that's what it was. I was in the and back not very seat. often. Yeah, it's not not. I I do think these things. I mean, on the one hand, I think the vast majority of people are accumulating risk. I think that you're, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. I think some people, you're always going to hear in the news of like somebody who's been like super strict, super good. And then it was like that one random event where they were like, I don't know, like (laughs) walking by somebody who coughed on them or something. And then a week later they got COVID. I mean, I don't know if they can even trace it. Right. But, but, but I think that that's rare. And I think that the vast majority is, is, is are people who are in like either very prolonged risky situations, um, or they're doing recurrent risk situations. You know, it's like they're, they're 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 going to buy you know they're going to bars or events yeah um over and over again but you know it brings I up think a question. the majority but it's not a, there's no guarantee with this thing and listen you know it's uh i mean i think we we just got into a little bit of an argument with uh with our daughter about this because you know she said you know i don't know anybody who has this and i don't really understand this and that and i said you know I think that's the problem too, though, is that what happens is, is that everybody's maybe in your social network is okay until somebody isn't. <laughs> and then it's like suddenly, you know, a tragedy happens, like a whole family gets sick and then everybody's like, you know, and then they post on Facebook, like, this is real. You know, we got all sick and our father right. died and all this stuff. And I think it's just one of those. It's a real all or none. Well, I don't know about you guys, but we were talking about this with someone else. And the term that they said is it's getting closer. It's, it feels like it's getting closer. And and for mm-hmm. us, that's definitely true. Yeah. It used to be. I didn't know anyone. We had the conversation yeah. on the show. Yeah, we did. But now it's my son has two friends or a friend of a friend. that, Or the sister of a friend. Right. That So he's been in the 
yeah. you know, s- somehow like not it's really closer. Yeah, I it's agree. getting. And then it's we do have a friend like that. I had an experience. So that's happening. But, you know, my question for you is this. Um, there was a case of 17 lifeguards, I think in New Jersey, I want to say, that all got it. And they all got it. They were at a party and they were definitely not adhering to any of the proper precautions. Okay. But when you think about it, and I think my son asked me this question, he's like, it's not like they all got it immediately. Was it, was it the bartender? Like what was the, what was the one catalyst? And then does it, do they, does it spread right? Cause they were saying you're not even shedding for the first several days, potentially. So did they all just come in contact with that one? What do they call it? A super spreader? I, yeah, I think it's all of the above. I mean, I think there are those situations where there is a super spreader where you're like in some kind of a confined space and somebody's like yelling right, or singing or, you know, making a big stink and they're spewing out viral particles to in a, in a confined space mm-hmm. and everybody's inhaling those science, uh, those viral particles. I think then you have other situations where you don't have a super spreader, but you just have three or four people. You're in a confined space. There's like dozens of people and they're in a small space and they're just inside you know, air circulation. It. Isn't yeah. so great. Yeah. yeah. This is a small space. Yeah. Air, air circulation. Not so great. <laughs> As GB and, moves uh, farther and farther away from us. And I, and I can't tell. We're in, in masks. Mask yeah. If it's my breath or, or the dog's breath that, that smells <laughs> so bad. Could be mine. <laughs> The dog has pretty bad breath. Well, it does seem like all the contact tracing, that's not, it's just not viable. You, even when you get it, you don't know how you got it. And it's hard to, hard that's, to trace that. That's back. the truth. Well, if I get it, I'm, tr- I'm tracking it back. Right to, right this moment. <laughs> right to this moment. <laughs> that's, that's good to know. So we talked, um, a couple episodes back. We, um, about XGP and you were about to see a patient. Well, you had already diagnosed it. And you were going to tell us what happened with that what case. What does uh, XGP stand for? Again? <laughs> you don't remember this? <laughs> Are you asking me? I'm asking you, Jay. Oh, man, I didn't practice this. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say uh, z- Zithro. Is that the start of it? Xantho. Zan- no, don't go any farther. Z- Xanthro. Oh, I forgot. I forgot the rest of it. Granulomatous. Gran- granulomatous pyelonephritis. 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 Yeah. Right, now you have to spell yeah. it. Yeah. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> it's two words, and I, I did know it. That's true. <laughs> yeah, so XGP. Um, that's what I call it with my friends. Actually. And, and, and what this is basically is that some people get like an infected kidney, but it's really what we call subclinical and it's often occur and subclinical meaning that maybe they're not feeling their best. They're weak. They're out of it, you know, or, or they, they have a little bit of a side ache, but they've kind of blown it off. Um, and, and, and the bottom line is that at some point, they do start to get symptoms, you know, but it could be going on for months and months. And you were describing it as this, the kidney becomes just this pus filled right. organ, essentially. Right. 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 And we all we didn't talk about is how it, how it can happen. Well, I mean, it's, it's usually because somebody has formed a stone in their kidney. And again, I and mean, we've talked about in this in the past, like people are probably listening and saying, well, I thought if you had a stone in your kidney, you'd be in a lot of pain, but you have to realize that lots of people, lots of us may have little small stones in our kidneys and we don't feel them because urine's able to travel around that stone and get out of the kidney and not cause any blockage and you feel okay. It's often when the stone drops into the tube that drains your kidney to your bladder when you start to have those symptoms. And so, you know, these um, 
Now, sometimes people can form bigger stones. Ironically, the bigger stones are more of the type that can not pass because they're too big to pass. You know, you can imagine if somebody forms a pretty big sized stone and if you have a tube that drains your kidney and the diameter of that tube is no bigger than like a pencil, but you've got a stone that's the size of a marble that has formed in your kidney, you won't feel it. Yes. And and the marble won't go down the tube, so it won't block it. But it's interesting what you're saying. So when you've talked about going up and, and sort of shaving you know, it's like it down. Putting, it's like putting a basketball or, yeah. or like a, like a, like a, yeah, like a softball in your sink, yeah. in your bathroom. It's not going to block your sink. I mean, it could if it just rolled perfectly over it. But if it, if it was just kind of put in there and it, it probably wouldn't, or it, maybe that's not a great example. But, but what I'm trying to say is if you put like a, a, like something a little smaller, like a little rubber ball that just fit into the drain, that's going to really stop it up. But you're generally when you're doing that surgery, that is in the bladder. Right, what surgery? We're talking well, about two different things no, now. What I, are you talking about? When you're going in and you're and you're getting rid of the stone because it's not passing. Oh, when we get rid of a stone that's stuck in the ureter, and again, those stones are usually, you know, they could be the size of a pea. Okay. We have to go through the urethra, whether it's a man or a woman, into the, and they're asleep under anesthesia into the bladder, and then we find a little opening inside the bladder that goes into the tube, the the ureter. It goes up to the kidney, and we find that stone, and we break it up, and we remove it. So you don't generally break them up if they're all the way if they're in inside the, kid- the kidney. Yeah, sometimes, uh, but generally we don't. Correct. Because generally what, we don't. You're saying that is one of the potential ways that XGP takes place, right? And- XGP is really rare, though. But yes, if 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 see, you have to realize that like people who get regular care probably wouldn't have this happen because you would pick it up. Um, you would get a. But how you're saying they won't even know that it's there. You'd get. They might have a, a a urinary tract infection, and they may not be symptomatic from it. We would get, uh, they would get their annual physical, and the doctor would say, "Oh, you have a UTI. You've got like white cells and red cells in your urine. Let's treat it." And they treat it, except it doesn't go away. They check you again in a month or something, and they say you still have it. Go see the urologist, and then you go to the urologist, and the urologist does some tests. Maybe he does an ultrasound. Maybe he does a CAT scan, and then he discovers that you've got a a stone in your kidney that's probably resulting in these recurrent infections because the stones can be infected stones. Okay. So that's what can happen. Now, some people have small stones in their kidney, and they're kind of in these different compartments where we would look at it, and we'd say, you know, this does not really reflect much risk. It's not infected. You're not symptomatic. It's not likely to pass. It's not likely to cause you problems. We're going to just watch it or leave it alone. It's not worth the risk of trying to get it out. And then there's other people where it's, you know, a size, it's, it's a certain size that can be concerning. It, it's in a position that's concerning. We think it could drop and suddenly cause you pain. Or it, we see that it's maybe causing infections, and so it could be an infected stone, and then we'll say, okay, we got to take care of this. But in this case, you know, she probably, I'm sure she had infected urine for over a year, but she didn't have symptoms. It just didn't bother her, and that can happen. You can have like sort of subclinical infection where your urine's infected, but you're not really aware that it's infected. Maybe it's a little funny smelling, and you just kind of blew it off. But a urinalysis would have showed up. Urinalysis for sure would have picked up on this. Which is Does why you're saying... smell? Does it generally? Yeah. 
No, generally very well, mildly. My, there's a mild odor to urine. If you if you you can do that uh, experiment yourself, GB. Is there, is there, <laughs> you can pee in a cup after the show on and your own. Really take a good sniff of it. Is there a normal smell to it? Uh, like I said, I think you should pee in a cup this after the show, and you can smell your own urine. You'll so, know so it's that, normal. So that's not like a diagnostic that you do. It's like, hmm, smells a little off. Um, as a doctor, we elicit that as a symptom, but we don't generally. I mean, I'm sure some, maybe there are some doctors that do, but I could. It's not something that we typically do. We don't typically like. You know, stick our nose into the sample. How, how do you elicit usually, it as a, as a symptom? You 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 say, ask does your the urine smell bad, and people will or sometimes they'll usually just tell you. They'll say, "Yeah, no, something's not right, Doc. My urine's been smelling really weird." Yeah, that's a change you. Would I mean, notice. think about it. Like, you do have a. You can pick up the smell. Imagine, like, you know, the smell when you have asparagus, or no. You, you mean the smell? asparagus smell or the aftermath the, uh, of aftermath. the smell from the asparagus eating? Do you know that what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes. Some people don't. Do you? Really? Do you know the smell of asparagus when it's when cooked? It's in, when you when you've peed after eating asparagus, it gives you a funny smell. Do you know that smell or not? You're He's, not aware of just, it. Just just say yes. You know you yes. do. Yes. You do know the smell. <laughs> okay. No, because actually, we recently. Um, we're talking to somebody who said they, they really never like appreciated it. Yeah, right. no, I, 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 I succumb to peer pressure. I actually don't know the smell. Okay. So, no, I... <laughs> really? I, I yeah. don't. You know the smell? Yeah. Uh, of course. I, I, I'm not sure everybody gets it because I'm not sure if it has to do with um, a certain enzyme, which is part of the no. asparaginase... It's a is, breakdown. Is this like, can you roll your tongue? We have to start at parties now, you know? You may have to start asking people Asparagus if you have that pee? funny smell. Yeah. Anyway, some people, a lot of people have a very odd smell when they urinate, like maybe oh, even an hour. I was going to say it's remarkably fast. fast. Yeah, it could be 30 minutes. It's less, yeah. It could be 30 minutes after you it's, eat asparagus. It's shocking. It's this really strong, pungent smell. Really? Yes. Um, now, how did I get onto this topic? There, there's a scene in the movie. Because oh, I was asking you about smell. Yeah, and the point being that like when the urine is literally coming out of your body... It's so powerful. You immediately smell it. Immediately. What what, what movie is this a scene in? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> oh, I know what you're talking about. Do you? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's Jack Wait, Nicholson. No, well, I thought you were talking about the one with the with the lesbian couple. Um, no. This reference, uh, oh. maybe, but this reference is Jack Nicholson in the movie. Election. Wolf. Election. Reese Witherspoon. That's Reese Witherspoon. No, it's Reese Witherspoon. But remember, um, the two girl, the the. The the guy who's also running for the election, the football player, his sister, his sister's also running for the election. Remember? Yeah. And she oh, wow. is uh, like a she's becoming coming out of the closet as a lesbian. Okay. And there's a and she she ends up with this other g girl, and they're having like an affair. And she talks about this one scene like we had so much fun together, and we would eat asparagus and see whose pee would smell funny first. That's funny. You don't remember that? This I was an election. It's a line. Yeah. Well, in this in this one, Jack Nicholson is in the bathroom with, uh, and he's having a conversation with someone else at a urinal. You know, what what movie was this? Wolf. It's called. Wolf. It's a Mike Nichols, I believe. And uh, anyway, briefly, he's a wolf. You know, like that's the whole point of the movie is that he's slowly transforming, kind of, and he's having a 
like literally a sort of a pissing match with one of his coworkers. He's uh, the he's the boss. A pissing match. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, it's right. So he he like moves at the urinal and he pees on the guy's leg, and the guy's <sighs> like, "What are you doing?" And he just says, "Oh, asparagus." <laughs> okay. So, oh, that's go. gross. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so anyway, so yeah. Know, no, getting back can, to somebody, our no, I just, I just, I want last comment. The last foul time, smelling the last time is a we sign had dinner of a urinary at, tract infection. The last time we had dinner at your house, Doc, you served asparagus. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. Um, foul smelling urine is a sign of a urinary tract infection, and anybody, particularly women who have had UTIs will say there'll be nodding right now, and they know what that foul-smelling urine smells like. And I can tell you as a doctor, yes, we've had people come into the office. Well, guys, too, if they have a UTI, right? And the nurse will sometimes come up to me and she'll go, Dr. Hyman, I think this person's got a urinary tract infection. It really smells. And I'll be Hmm. like, okay. So, yeah. Um, But in any event, if it's not picked up and it goes on for a long, long time, and they have a stone that is the source of that infection that stone will grow because there are certain types of stones where the bacteria inside the stone breaks down the urine and the breakdown products precipitate into more stone. Oh, you know, mm. I, 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 I have to say b- between the heat, uh, <laughs> the, the, the lack of circulation in this room <laughs> and, and the constant talk about the smells, I think I'm getting a bit nauseous over here. You're getting a little lightheaded? Yes, I am. You'll survive. There are certain things. Sorry, I had a grape. There are certain things that GB gets really reactive about. I guess so. Smell is one of them. We just found one. Anyway, so, and that stone, as it just, it's like a cycle, you know? The, The stone gets bigger. There's more because of the bacteria. And now there's even more bacteria because there's more stone there for them to grow in. And then the stone starts to come into contact with the wall, inner walls of the kidney, and the bacteria slowly start to literally destroy the inside of that kidney. But it doesn't really get into your bloodstream. It starts to become walled off. In fact, that's what a granuloma is. A granuloma is a, is a finding, is something that a pathologist will describe under the microscope. But granulomas are like walled off infections in our body. Hmm. Like the classic, when you're a medical student, the classic uh, granuloma you learn about is what the the granulomas that are formed in tuberculosis. That's the classic. You get these granulomas all over your lung. There are these walled off infection areas. They cause like um, the tubercles of tuberculosis. That's what they're called. And so um, in this case, granulomatous pyelonephritis. Pyelonephritis is a infection of the kidney, granulomatous pyelonephritis. The xantho is the fact that often these are yellow. But in my case, it wasn't yellow. I'm going to show you a picture in a minute. Oh, no. Yep, I'm going to show you a picture. And so, um, and this one, not only did it get infected inside the kidney, but it actually tracked out of the kidney. Because you said she had the bulge. Yes, and it went into her flank subcutaneous tissue. So it actually made its way into her flank. All the skin in her flank filled up with pus. And then eventually, yeah, and she ended up with this big swollen flank. And so when the when she came to the ER, they did an incision and drainage. Yeah. Made a little incision and drained out the pus, but the kidney was still totally full of pus. How do you dispose of pus? Well I you do what I just said. You try to lance or no no no. He wants to know what you do with it. Like if you like fried chicken, right? 
I think you, you know, well, you, you submit it to the, you, you, I mean, you, you take a sample of it for a culture and you let them try to culture it, see if they can grow out the bacteria and otherwise you discard it. It's hazardous so, but, waste. Right. So where hazardous this, waste. And, and what happens? What do you do with all human hazardous I, waste? That's my question. They get, they, they go into an incinerator. An incinerator. Yeah. Okay. And what yeah. about needles? And needles, I believe also go into incinerators. But there's metal left. Over yeah. I think there. they, they melt it down. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. So, um, they melted, but, but there's no issues because I've heard of situations where things get reused even though they were um, put in under flames and there was still like uh, at a hospital? Not in the United States, in the United but States. in like no. other countries. Yes. Yeah, they sometimes do that. Yeah. So, when you met, but when you metal, uh, when, when you melt the needles down, you don't have any of those germs or any of those pathogens that that will. They continue. can't withstand that heat. They can't withstand it. So, so in the situations that you and I recall, they must not have heat, heated up the needles to such an extent. Wait, which situations? So we where 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 they put the needles under heat, and so it didn't kill all the pathogens. Oh, I don't know what he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, let's move on. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so... <laughs> Sorry, Jesus. You're losing us. You can Google that one later. We'll Google that one. Um, anyway, so um, so ultimately, we, we needed to take her surgery. But these things, I think I said last week, are notoriously dangerous to operate on because they... When you operate on, on, on an infected organ right. like this... You lose all the tissue planes. So what do I mean by that? Because I always put myself in the shoes of a layperson, and when I say tissue planes, they're I'm probably imagining like, the smooth outside of the organ is no longer; it doesn't exist. Yeah, I'm I, imagining you can't put a stooch. A well, it's like in you it. know, you know when I'm. Gonna, I don't want to sound gross, but like you know when you're looking at like a chicken, and you are a raw piece of chicken, right? And you. Um, ha, you know, and you like pull off a piece of some part of that chicken, you can see that there are planes within the mi meat, within the muscle of the yeah, chicken where right. you can like literally like pull off different parts of right. different muscles, right. separate them if you wanted to. Um, does that make sense or not really? Yeah. And you can see the planes same with meat. I within, mean, with within the muscle, of, within yeah. any kind of animal, you can see, right? Well, when the organ gets infected, there are no planes, so you cannot really different determine like uh, there's all this hard, scarry, really, really rock hard tissue. It's like almost like cement, and you can cut through it, but as you're cutting, you don't know like as you're. It, it's so dense, and you're cutting through it. Normally, you can just kind of sweep it with like a like a cotton-tipped instrument or something, just sweep it aside. But now you literally have to cut into it, and you don't know as you're cutting if you're going to like suddenly cut into the vena cava, which is the biggest blood vessel in your body, basically. And if you cut into the vena cava, it's a disaster because you can bleed liters within like a minute. Liters mm. within a minute, it, you can lose that much blood that fast. You're just you can't suction the blood as fast as it's coming out of the of the incision. You literally can't see what you're doing. You just shove your hand in there and hope that you can stop it, the hole, and then suction out all the blood so you can see where it's coming from, and then hope that you can stitch it up and hope that when you do stitch it up, you're not like actually sewing close the vena cava okay. because that would be awful. So that's an example of why it's such a treacherous operation. Anyway, um, 
And then the kidney itself, you'll cut into the kidney and you don't know if you're going to cut into a, a vessel of the kidney. You don't know if you're going to cut into a vessel of the kidney. And, um, and that vessel is going to also bleed like crazy. So what we did before the operation, and I don't know if I talked about this before, is we did something called a, uh, an embolization procedure. Did we talk about that? No, you had just had the x-rays. Okay, so the, an embolization procedure is where um, before the surgery, we, we had um, some vascular surgeons come in, and they accessed the artery um the um you did this on a different surgery when you had the more junior guy oh you're right i did yeah we did same you're right and we did it again for this case well you cut off most of the blood flow so you, you can cut really off see what's going on all of the blood flow to the kidney yeah. so that way when you cut down onto the kidney and you if you get into the kidney you're not going to get into any serious bleeding it's, it takes a lot of the stress cgb out of the surgery. I, I, I listened to the show <laughs> that's pretty good yeah. yeah you knew what was going on so anyways, that's how we did it. We took out the kidney. It was a it, it turned out to be challenging but not treacherous. And um Oh, okay, hold on. And um this I'm going to first show you guys and you can try to describe this. This is what a normal kidney would look like if you cut it out. Okay. And you sliced it in half, like, so, length, so lengthwise. Literally a kidney bean-looking Looks shape. Looks like a kidney bean with some funny little... Similar coloration, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, this isn't exactly... It's, it's a pretty good uh, example. Okay. It's a pretty good example. And this is what it looked like when we cut open the kidney. Here's where we're slicing. We're bivalving it, and there's this weird stuff inside. That's, is that the one you took out? That's the one I took out. Oh, boy. So now we're looking at just a Ew. very... <laughs> there's like no shape to it whatsoever, and it's filled with the coloration you would expect when it's like you say it's filled thing. with pus. It's this kind of pussy oh, stuff. Inside. Yeah, yeah, it's just filled with this pussy yeah. stuff. Good yeah. night. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> I thought it was... I was actually surprised because it almost looks like the consistency of like, like really watery um, guacamole. No, please don't compare it. To, uh, you've made it <laughs> and, worse. And I thought to myself, like, God, that's a weird looking, that's weird looking yeah. pus. It looks like oatmeal to me. <laughs> yeah. So the whole inside of the kidney was just mushy, destroyed, basically. Oh, Nothing left of it. Um, well, you had but, said there was no way she was going to yeah, be able to keep any no, of that. No. Uh, but, you know, sure enough, she left the hospital after a few days. She was in my office a couple of days ago. She looked great. So, so you took out what was that kidney. And the source of everything. And her flank, you know, drained all that pus out. And and within two weeks, she was totally healed up. So you saved her amazing. life? I mean, I a team of people saved her life. The ER doctor saved her life for picking up on it all and scanning her. And the surgeon saved her life by draining the abscess. And the nurses saved her life by being there with her. And, you know, everybody contributed. And what happens to the ureter that was connected to that? That's a very good question. We clip it. And we just leave it. There are rare situations where we do more than that, where we think there's cancer that could involve the ureter. So we actually have to do a not only a nephrectomy, removing the kidney, but a nephro-ureterectomy, <laughs> where we take out the kidney and the entire length of ureter. Mm -hmm. And if we think there's cancer in it, you're supposed to take a little cuff of the bladder hmm. with the tip of that ureter. So you really make sure you get it all out. So you actually cut it out of the bladder 
And then you have a hole in the bladder where the ureter went in and you have to sew up the bladder. Hmm. Wow. So that's the deal. All right. Well, I'm glad she's she's doing well. Now she has one kidney, but she's that's that's plenty, right? And well, she effectively had one kidney before. Correct. That's true. Correct. All right. Well, anyway, so you can see that uh, that's just another thing that sort of comes your way and is kind of kind of crazy. And you're right. She had she wasn't using that one anyway. For she wasn't had, using and, that one probably for a year. A year. Wow. Yeah. So in that case, would her urine have smelled? Must have been. You said that she had a UTIs that she just didn't know about. You know, she, in this case, she's actually a pretty remarkable person in that she she had been through a lot medically. She had had, like, uterine cancer and had to have, you know, a hysterectomy and all this stuff, like, five years or seven years before and had to have, like, radiation and chemotherapy and all kinds of stuff, and she survived it. And she's, like, in her late 70s. And she survived it. Like, hmm. she's got no evidence of recurrent disease. Um, truth be told, and you could, this will get GB all kind of activated. <laughs> I did look at her old images from six years ago because I was able to access them. And you could see that she had a fairly good sized, marble sized stone in that right kidney. And you could, and you could, and I said, like, did you know, I asked her, did you know you had a stone in your right kidney? And she's like, no, somebody probably should have informed her of that. Um, so it's a little, you know, it could have probably been avoided. Hmm. Um, she should have been advised of it. You know, if you want a take home lesson on this show, here's the take home lesson. When you get labs and scans, do yourself a favor and get copies. Ask for them. Get the copies. Get and the what's reports. The, the reports. The reports. What would and, you? And, is, that, and, is that like five percent that actually asked for that? Oh yeah, at yeah. most, right? Yeah, if that five percent, yeah. And they all. It's just and a really good idea because because then what you can do is go through it and just read the impression. When you're looking at a CAT scan, the only thing you really wanna you really wanna read the impression. That's yeah, the you most want the word thing. unremarkable. Right. And then in the impression, they'll often put things, that, but they usually, you can read, you can kind of get a sense of it. Maybe I should bring a scan home and a report home and read it on the show. It'll say things like, um, you know, uh, the such and such, uh, th- there were, there were uh, one centimeter uh, pelvic lymph nodes, which are likely non-reactive or li- likely reactive. Sorry, likely reactive. But then they'll say there are, you know, 1.5 centimeters suspicious. Yeah. I mean, which one, which one sounds worse? Right. So or, usually or, or you 1. can... 1.5 centimeter dark area in the right kidney. Eh, but I'm not going to worry about it. Well, because it'll say, it'll say, <laughs> it'll say nonspecific, or it might say too small to characterize, or it may say likely a proteinaceous cyst. Is it possible it like says that? nothing? Because you said you usually noticed it on the said, scan. Usually if, if there's something important, it'll say... That, you know, uh, advise further evaluation with either an MRI, advise urological evaluation. Like, they'll, they'll say it on the scan if, they advi- if they're what concerned. What is the process for a review of that? Is it one doctor or is, is there a QC process? So let's say I was the radiologist and, and I read that and I missed it. Who would... you, you read what and you missed what? Uh, the stone, like in this lady's case? In, yeah, in this lady's they case. They didn't miss it. It was in the report. Oh, it was in the report? It was in the report. 
So what you really want to ask is who ordered the test? And I think it may have been, I'm not sure, it might have been the, um, it might have been the hematologist or the oncologist because, I mean, that's the same thing, sorry. It may have either been the hematology oncologist or it may have been the um, gynecologist, the, uh, what do they call it, GYN onc, the gynecological oncologist. So it's like a gynecologist who specializes in oncology and they're the ones who takes out the uterine cancer and stuff. One of them probably ordered this test and they were very, very, con- you know, they were basically like, She's going to die. We just want to see if we got all the cancer out. And so then they probably saw this incidental finding of a right renal stone that wasn't causing any acute problems, and they just kind of shrugged it off, which, I mean, I don't blame them completely. It's not... Yeah. A lot of people have small little stones in their kidneys and we and, and you don't necessarily jump up and down and like immediately reflexively send somebody to a urologist to have it worked up. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm probably in lots of stones are harmless. In those six years with those other surgeries that she had, that probably wasn't the last scan that she had. Um you know what's really, looked for a post? You know what's funny about that? I'm always surprised and I don't everything has its own protocol in terms of its surveillance. When I say everything, I mean like different cancers have different protocols. And I'm always surprised that um, like breast cancer, I mean, if you know anybody close to you who has breast cancer, ask them, what's the surveillance protocol? Never do they get CAT scans. They, they, they really don't get any kind of surveillance. They just get a physical exam. Hmm. They don't get any kind of imaging surveillance. I don't know what that's about, and I know it's evidence-based. In other words, they've determined how to do these surveillance protocols based on, you know, the liter- you know they've done medical, liter- uh, done studies. Anyways, yeah, no, she did not have repeat scans. Hmm. She did not. She yeah. just got that one stone scan that was like six or seven years ago. I mean, not stone, that one um, post-operative gynecology evaluation scan, and that was it. But yeah, she had a good size stone in that right kidney, and if you know, it could have been brought to the attention of a urologist, and a urologist would have recommended dealing with that stone. It was too big to leave it there and do nothing with it. Well, luckily, you know, she came out the other side of all this. She ha- did. Had she some did. discomfort along she the did. way, but uh, that's, yeah, you know, she did. Sounds like she's doing well. She so. did. She worked out a so. little bit more than discomfort. She lost her kidney. <laughs> she lost. Well, her kidney. that's true. Yeah, she that's lost her point. kidney. But we're not going to dwell on that. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> we just spent five minutes dwelling on it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad she's doing better now, though. So, all right, Doc. Well, thanks for that. Thanks for the follow up. Thank you, GB. Thank you. Until next time. All right, guys. Thanks. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience, but if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast. So write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.